the past couple of days, um, this is actually going to be a teaching. If you have your word, you can go ahead and pull up Romans. Um, if you need a Bible with some over here, if you got your phone, whatever you need. I'm going to be reading a little bit to you at first. Um, but the Lord told me he wants me to teach it first and then to speak upon, speak upon a revelation he's given me. Um, but the Lord kept having me uh, read Romans 1 through about 3 and 4 at first over and over. And I was just getting so much from it. I was enjoying it. And he's like, start writing some of this down. And I started to. And um, I, was getting some, I was getting some good stuff from it. And then as I, st I kept reading, I came across Romans 5 through about 8. And my whole life, growing up in church, listening to preaching, throughout my whole life, I have heard pastors and speakers and preachers shy away from Romans 5 through 7, 8, 4 through 8. That whole area, is it seems so, and it is, I've read it a thousand times, it feels like, and it's so confusing. And it's like every time I read it, I get a little bit more, I understand a little bit more, and I started to get frustrated last night because I said, Lord, you've given me my notes, you've told me what I should be speaking on. I said, but you're wanting me to read this. I said, and I know I'm going to get frustrated. And he didn't say anything to me, so I just kept reading, and I didn't get frustrated. Then he said, go back and read it out loud, but slow. Slow down and listen to your own voice. And as I did, I heard it as if somebody was speaking to me, and obviously it was the Holy Spirit. It wasn't me. And for the first time, I understood it completely. And I've, I have heard preachers preach on it. I've heard preachers talk about how it's confusing and that it's like a mystery, and it's really not a mystery. It is a very simple concept that is deeply explained through these deep thousands of years worth of Old, Old Testament, New Testament, you name it. And it brings up, Paul brings up all these points to make one point very clear. And all I did was cry and freak out. And I freaked out because I was like, I actually get it. And it starts to bring revelation to other scripture and other places in the word where we're just like, oh, this, I get this. And what I have from the scripture is like a, I said this to my mom last night, it's like a beautiful lawn with beautiful grass. And you know it's healthy, it's happy, and it's gorgeous to look at, it's soft to touch. And then you start to dig under it and you find this gold. And for some reason, this gold, which is worth so much more than pretty grass, is somehow feeding this grass. And you're like, oh my gosh, I understand it more. So what you understood at first was still so beautiful and valuable. Then as you start to dig and the Holy Spirit starts to show you more, you realize it's more valuable than you thought. And then you dig past the gold because you're picking it up. And then you say under that, you've hit a gold mine of you know crude oil. Now you're a millionaire. And it, it's like, and that's what I told her it feels like. It feels like I got $20 million right now and I don't know what to do with it. That's how it felt. Except this is actually more valuable than $20 million could ever be. And that's not to be cheesy. That's not to be emotional. It really is because when you... When I, I, I honestly, to the, at this moment, do not know if this will have to be a multiple, multiple part thing because he did tell me to preach this, the first thing he gave me. The great revelation that I got was after he, he told, after I wrote my last note and he said to keep reading. It was like one o'clock in the morning-ish or right at. And I kept reading and I knew what he knew it was there. Like I said, I was frustrated. And then the Holy Spirit started to say, Chase, read it out loud. And I did. And as I heard my own voice, I heard him. And all these things just started making sense. And I'm like, well, what he had he had for me to teach slash preach actually leads right into it. But there is going to be a little bit more on the lengthy side of reading, but bear with me. We're not going to rush through this because the Lord, I feel like the Lord really wants you to hear every bit of this for what the revelation is. I'm going to be listening to the Holy Spirit as we go. So bear with me. If he tells me to break this up, I will. Um, but if he tells me not to, then buckle up. 
So just, just hang on, but I promise you it won't be boring. But if you have your word, if you need a Bible, there's some extra over here. Uh, well, like I said, we're in Romans 1 is where we're starting at the very beginning. Um, but if not, just bear with me. Try to pay attention. I know we have a lot of kids here, but I do feel the weight of this word. I've got my own here. I've, obviously, we all have patience for children. That's why we're not getting them out of this room. We want things to be different. We want them to hear this stuff, not entertained by puppets. Um, nothing against that, but that's not what we do. We're not a normal church. So I'm going to start in Romans 1, and we're going to move on through there. So uh, just bear with me because... Before I start reading, because I'm about to, I have to let you know, be honest with you and vulnerable. As I read this, so many times, just like Jesus in the desert, the enemy wants to beat me up and say, these people, Paul is talking about, these people that the wrath of God has stored up for is you. You're the one who's been like this in deep description. You are the one who has done this. You're the one who's made yourself an enemy of God. You have done this. And I hear it and I feel it and I know better in my spirit, but it's so hard not to see everything that you've done in the past, what you might have done that day. And so as I'm starting to read it, I'm starting to feel this heaviness. I'm like, I don't want to keep reading this. And I feel the Lord just push me on and I keep reading and I keep reading because I'm like, why am I getting beat up so hard just reading this? I've repented for my sins. I've turned for my sins. I'm sanctified daily as I walk with the Lord. But something, it was just heavy on my soul and I was feeling so, and I don't mean a good heavy. It was a bad heavy. It felt like a burden, a burden that I put on God and I just felt just disgusting. And I'm just being vulnerable here. So I'm going to start reading. Keep this in mind. Paul, this is so important what I'm about to say. A slave of Christ Jesus. Remember that called as an apostle and singled out for God's good news, which he promised long ago through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who was a descendant of David according to the flesh, and who has been declared to be the powerful son of God by the resurrection from the dead according to the spirit of holiness. You see the two definitions of Jesus. There's the bloodline, and then there's the line of, that's of blood, from the Holy Spirit, the two different things. That's why he's called the Son of Man and the Son of God. They're both true. We have received grace and apostleship through him to bring about the obedience of faith among all of the nations on behalf of his name, including yourselves, who also belong to Jesus Christ by calling. I'm going to read that again. If you ever wonder why so many people today are saying, oh, we don't need the apostles. There ain't no apostles anymore. There's no prophets anymore. I'm going to need to reread this to you because this is Romans. This is Paul when he was older. We have received grace and apostleship through him to bring about the obedience of faith among all of the nations on behalf of his name, including yourselves who also belong to Jesus Christ by calling. This is telling you right here why apostles exist. To bring obedience of faith through spiritual authority given to God as a servant, as the least in the room. And that's what people, that's, that's one, of the, one, of the biggest, one of the biggest enemies of the church today is to say these things aren't needed, these things don't exist anymore. Why would they need to be? This is why, to bring about obedience of faith. This is one of the reasons we see the church and the state it is in, not just in the U.S., but the world, but I'll continue. To all who are in Rome loved by God called us saints, grace to you and peace from our God, Father, and Lord Jesus Christ. I'm in uh, Romans 1, 8 now. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because the news of your faith is being report reported in all of the world. 
For God whom I serve with my spirit in telling the good news about his son is my witness that I constantly mention you. Always asking in my prayers that if it is somehow in God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I want very much to see you, so I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is to be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Again, spiritual gift and impartation should be normal in this church. One of the reasons why, other than actual impartations of gift. So I may import, uh, impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. The laying on of hands in the Holy Spirit and in the will of God and in the right way is to strengthen us. It is not an emotional thing. There's a reason after the, you, the, after things like that happen and altar calls happen and people lay hands and the Holy Spirit comes over you, you leave feeling like you just left heaven and like you can take over the world and nothing can touch you. And the, and the temper actually stays away for a little bit, have you noticed? That should be normal in the body. Now I want you to know, brothers, that I often planned to come to you, but was previously, uh, or was prevented until now, in order that I might have a fruitful ministry among you, just as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm obligated both to the Greeks and barbarians, both to the wise and the foolish. So I am eager to preach the good news to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For in it, God's righteousness is revealed from faith to faith, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. For God's wrath is revealed from heaven against all godlessness and all unrighteousness of people who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Since what can be known about God is evident among them because God has shown it to them. This is where it starts to get heavy. This is where it starts to get heavy. For his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world. Being understood through what he has made, as a result, people are without excuse. This applies to everyone in this room and everyone who is watching and everyone who ever will watch this. I'm going to read it again. For they knew God and did not glorify him as God or show gratitude. Instead, their thinking became nonsense and their senseless minds were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of an immortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, four-footed animals, and reptiles. Therefore, God delivered them over in their cravings of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for Allah and worshiped and served something created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. Now what we're seeing is we're seeing like even on Mount Sinai when Moses went up and they made the golden calf and the idol started worshiping it right when he left. And he's showing that their hearts are darkened and that God has given them over to their depravity. Notice he says it's depravity. He said everyone is without excuse. Don't believe me. I have never taken a dog on a hike and when they see the mountain range, just sit and weep over it. I know that sounds cheesy and emotional, but let it sink in for a second. Why do we think it's beautiful? The word says that God has shown himself since the beginning clearly in his divine nature and through everything that he's created. He said no man is without excuse. So why are these people who are right after that he's describing that are going to worship these four-footed animals, they're going to go into their, their sexual immorality and their depravity, and God has given them over to it, and they worship their own creations instead of the creator. Why? 
Because all of these sins are about one thing, self-sacrificing to themselves. As a false sacrifice to God to make them feel like they've done something. What they have done is they have now started to worship themselves. Because even creating, so, oh, this golden calf, this, this cow that we worship. It's God that we made from our jewelry. With no background, no, no history, no understanding, nothing like this gigantic book has that explains where it comes from, what it does, what its purpose is. All we know is a false god to anybody who knows better, but even they knew better. See, it, what it is, it's a turn of the hearts, and God said, I gave them over to it because it's what they wanted. They didn't really believe that was a god. They truly didn't. So I'm going to continue. This is why God delivered them over to degrading passions, for even their females exchanged natural sexual relations for unnatural ones. The males, in the same way, also left natural relations with females and were inflamed in lust for one another. Again, no matter what you feel about emotions, God calls this sexual depravity abomination to him. And he's given you over to your sin by thinking this is okay and by continuing, well, I'll, I'll, I'll keep ready. Males committed shameless acts with males and receiving in their own persons the appropriate penalty of their error. And because they did not think it worthwhile to acknowledge God, God delivered them over to a worthless mind to do what is morally wrong. They are filled with all unrighteousness, evil, greed, wickedness. They are full of envy, murder, quarrels, deceit, and malice. They are gossips, slanderers, God-haters, arrogant, proud, boastful, inventors of evil, and disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Although they know full well God's just sentence, that those who practice such things deserve to die. They not only do them, but even applaud others who practice them. They are just as evil in God's eyes. Did all those descriptions sound really familiar? Does it sound like something we hear constantly on the media and things that we constantly hear even in churches towards one another? Well, we wonder why the power of God is not there. We're wondering why there's so much emotion and why there just has to be even louder and louder music and cooler and cooler lights and more and more smoke machines because they're having to replace the presence of God with entertainment. Because the power of God is not there because he's not welcome because God said, I've turned them over to themselves. He said, I, he's, he, when, you, when the Lord has turned someone over to themselves, he is simply, in the most simple way, stating this. I am not with them. They are not mine. I have given them over to their God, their flesh, themselves. And we see what they do, which is also, in turn, the fruits of being godless. We know about the fruits of the Spirit, but these are some of the fruits of being godless. And how God is completely, he completely despises them. I'm going to continue. I'm in chapter 2 at the beginning. Therefore, any one of you who judges is without excuse. For when you judge another, you condemn yourself. Since you, the judge, do the same thing. We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on truth. Do you really think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same, that you will escape God's judgment? How many times have you heard people quote this and say, don't judge? I'm going to reread it since, since uh, people apparently like to give their opinions with partial scripture. Uh, that's what Satan did to Jesus in the desert when he was tempted him. He specifically, Satan used Deuteronomy out of text. He used scripture incorrectly. So I'm going to read the whole thing for you again. 
We know that God's judgment on those who do such things is based on truth. Do you really think any one of you who judges those who do such things yet do the same that you will escape God's judgment? He's saying, to the hypocrites, I will say this. To those who are godless and judge the godless, this is for you. He said to those who sit there and live how they want and act holy on specific days of the week and preach fire and brimstone down of those ungodly, unjust people when you're in the same group of them, this is for you. This is what he's saying. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? Now, what's he saying right here? Let's go back just a second. I'm not even going to reread it because we just did. He said that God has turned you over to these sins, and because of these sins, even they know they're just deserving, which is death. And he's correcting these hypocrites, saying, if you are like this, this is for you, stating what? You should be dead, and yet you're not, and this is why. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness? He's saying, are you taking for granted that the God of all creation, the sovereign God, the God of wrath and war, as well as love, mercy, and kindness, has passed over you temporarily so that you might recognize his kindness and mercy so you would go to repentance. Who's been there? I have. Thank God, literally, Almighty, that he has done that. His patience has done that. So if you ever wonder, why, well, how have I been living like this and I am not dead yet? That's why. It's his goodness and mercy. And his kindness, that he is the intention of God. It is by his will he is withholding it. Not anything you've done. You have not done anything for God to show you kindness and mercy. It's who he is. But it's to lead you to repentance. But because of, the, of your hardness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath. When God's righteous judgment is revealed, he will repay each one according to his works. Eternal life to those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, but wrath and indignation to those who are self-seeking, disobey the truth, but are obeying unrighteousness. Affliction and distress for every human being who does evil, first to the Jew and also to the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does what is good, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. There is no favoritism with God. All those who sinned without the law will also perish without the law. This is where it starts to get slowly into this incline of, oh, I kind of get what this means, but I know there's something in our spirits every time we read this. I've heard pastors with 10,000 people in the audience even admit this, and I love the honesty. If God hasn't revealed something to you, do not make it up, for one. This is where it starts to incline into it with, this, with the law. So bear with me. All those who sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all those who sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For the hearers of the law are not righteous before God. Let that sink in. I want you to remember this for what's coming up. For hearers of the law are not righteous before God. But the doers of the law will be declared righteous. They're right here. For the doers of the law are declared righteous. This right here, there is an ultimatum to this. An unattainable ultimatum to this. And you'll see why. So when Gentiles who do not have the law 
instinctively do what the law demands, they are a law to themselves, even though they do not know the law. What he's saying is, even when the Gentiles who are not given the law of Moses, when they instinctively do what is right, as in the heart that God has given us, like when a child steals and knows it's wrong without even being told. He said, when they instinctively do the right things without the law given to them, because they were not given it to them, God holds them to the same account, good or bad. And he says, and, the law, and they are a law to themselves, even though they don't have the law. Now, he keeps saying the law, but the difference is the law he has implanted into us to be like God and image bearers of God versus the law of Moses given to the Jews. They show that the work of the law is written on their hearts, like we just said. Their conscience confirmed this. Their competing thoughts will, will either excuse them or accuse them on the day when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Christ Jesus. Now, if you call yourself a Jew and, the, and rest in the law, boast in God. Know his will and approve the things that are superior, being instructed from the law. And if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light to those in darkness, an instructor of the ignorant, a teacher of the immature, having the full expression of knowledge and truth in the law, you then... Who teach another, don't you teach yourself. You who preach, you must not steal, do you steal? You who say you must not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who detest idols, do you rob their temples? You who boast in the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? For it is written, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Thank you, Lord. What he's saying right here is to all of you who think you are righteous enough in the law of Moses, which in Galatians 3 says was meant to curse and to punish the Jews. He said, you, those who, who preach do not steal. He said, do you steal? Because the word of God says that none was able to keep the law. And when you broke one law, you broke them all. He's saying in this law, you are condemned because the law brings death. And we'll get to that in a second. What he's saying here is to where you think you are self-righteous in yourself because of this law given to punish you, you are already deceived to think that, oh, I've done everything good today. I've done everything according to the law, according to this, which the word of God says you've already broken. You've already broken. Thank you, Lord. Half of this fake demonic condemnation, shame, and guilt that all of us have dealt with is when Satan starts to whisper the law to you and you start to compare yourself to something Jesus Christ had fulfilled on the cross and you start to worship it as if the covenant of the blood has nothing to do with you. You are not saved of the law for the law is meant to punish. You are not a high priest in, a holy, in the holy of holies in this temple. You have no place being there because we had a, a, a sacrificial lamb that filled that whole gap forever. Why? He said it. For all these people, all these wrongdoers, all the people given over to their deceitful and horrible ways, he said, what? For the wrath of God is being stored up for them. And so what we have to look at here, oh, thank you, Lord. I'm going to get back because I'm going to actually get ahead of myself here. I'm just going to go back in a little bit. To show that the works of the law is written on their hearts, their consciences confirm this, their competing thoughts will either accuse them or excuse them on the day when, judge, when God judges what people have kept secret according to my gospel through Jesus Christ. 
So we're going to go all the way when he says, do you still, uh, you know, do you preach, do not steal, but do you steal? And he said, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. What he's saying is those who sit there and preach the law as hypocrites who have fallen under the law, who have gone against the law and have broken all of the law. The Gentiles mock us and mock our God because you have made yourself a hypocrite. And even the godless know you're a hypocrite. And that's where the heaviness starts to sit in. Who am I? Have I made God? blasphemed among the godless because of my hypocrisy? Have my sins that even I have repented for, have I led someone astray? Have I have somebody seen me and I was a stumbling block to them and I had made them go in the wrong way and I start to repent and the Lord says, keep reading, Chase. So as I'm reading this, I'm like, who am I? Who am I? Who am I to even speak on a Sunday or any day of the week? Who am I to make a video? Who am I to call somebody at three o'clock in the morning to preach and minister to them? Who am I? And those would keep reading. For the circumcision benefits if you observe the law. But if you are a lawbreaker, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. He's saying, what's the point? Why well, try to do something physical to yourself to make yourself holy when you're not? You've broken the law. I mean, the word says when you've broken one, you've broken them all. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the law's requirements, will his uncircumcision not be counted as circumcision? A man who is physically uncircumcised but who fulfills the law will judge you who are a lawbreaker in spite of having the letter of law and circumcision. He's talking about the heart of God right now. He's saying, I do not care what tribe you were born in. I don't care how much you can speak the law. He said it doesn't matter because he said even the non-Jew, even the godless man who obeys the law has now become authority over you who call yourself a Jew and child of God. He said because they're not being hypocrites. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly and circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not the letter that man's praise is not from men, but from God. So what advantage does a Jew have? Or what is the benefit of circumcision? Considerable in every way. First, they were entrusted with the spoken word of God. What then? If some did not believe, will their unbelief cancel God's faithfulness? Absolutely not. God must be true even if everyone else is a liar, as it is written that you may be justified in your words and triumph when you judge. But if our unrighteousness highlights God's righteousness, what are we to say? I'll use a human argument. Is God unrighteous to inflict wrath? I, I say absolutely not. Otherwise, how will God judge the world? But if, but if, but if by my lie, God's truth is amplified to his glory. Why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim, we say, let us do what is evil so that good may come. Their condemnation is deserved. He's talking about people making excuses to continue in sin and even saying it's for the glory of God. Hey, who's ever heard of that? The Christian white lie? What then? Are we any better? Not at all. For we have previously charged that both the Jews and Gentiles are all under sin as it is written. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. 
All have turned away. All alike have become useless. Y'all might understand why I'm heavy at this point. There is no one who does not what is good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and wretchedness are in their paths. And they, the path of peace, that have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That is a direct quote of scripture. Now we know that whatever the law says speaks to those who are subject to the law. Pay attention. Pay attention. Now we know that whatever the law says speaks to those who are subject to the law. So that every mouth may be shut and the whole world may be become subject to God's judgment. For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. I was so heavy reading this. And I'm like, this, if, if somebody can't say this, then you've never needed Jesus in your life. This is me. This is who I've been. This is what I have lived. All this, there is no one righteous, not one. You gotta remember where this is said is the Old Testament. There was no connection to God. Did he speak? Yes, through his prophets. And it was rare. If you ever read 1 Samuel and you read that um, before when Samuel was born and that, that there wasn't really any prophets in his I forgot how many years it had been, but it had been a long time, it says, since God had spoken anything through anyone. And here comes Samuel because it was God's will for him to come. And it was God's will for him to be a new prophet, for, to be able to bring in who? King David, eventually, which was what? The heir and the promise of God to bring who? Jesus Christ. So we see the point of it. But see, as I'm reading all this, I'm like, yes, I get it. I'm getting it. And if you don't get it, let me quickly explain. What he's talking about is how he's talking to Jews, Roman Jews. He's also talking to Roman Gentiles. But he's talking, correcting the Jews who have separated themselves from God by thinking they're actually separating themselves from the world when it, by basically making themselves the special group of people by whether they're circumcised, the color of their skin, or what their last name is and what city they hail from. And what he's saying is this. He's like, this is who you are by what you're living. This law given to you, the Jews, used as punishment because of the way you're, because of your actions, because of the godlessness, because of the adultery. He said, this law was given. He said, but you are still living by it and judging others by this law. And he's saying, in, a, in short, you hypocrites. You hypocrites, you have all broken it. And the word says when you've broken one, one law, you've broken them all. He said, who are you to talk to anybody anymore about this law? He said, because this is who we've, this is who we've been. This is where we've been. This is the deadness that we were in the law because the law does what? Without law, we don't know what sin is. It's just like Paul says, I know I shouldn't covet. Why? Because the word of God says, do not covet your neighbor." Would you have known otherwise? But see, what happens is that now the question, and Paul will talk about this in a second, but I'm going to go ahead and ask you to keep it on your mind. So the question comes is, so is the law bad? Of course not. It's God's holiness. It's good. But why was it given? Because no one could keep it. There was no connection to God. There was only sheer will. There was no covenant 
other than the covenant of Abraham before man and God. That's when we talk about God that say, come in the name of God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Not my God, Abba, Father, but these guys, gods, who are my forefathers. And they thought that was like something. Oh, well, my ancestors talked to God. But at the time, what else could you do? There was no, they didn't, did you know that the, God the Father was not even known before Jesus? Did you know that? Jesus said, if you've known me, you've known the Father. But it said that, the, the, Jesus even said, the Father sent me so that he may be revealed. God the Father has always been. But nobody in the Old Testament knew about him by God's will. This whole aspect of God. Thank you, Lord. So as I'm reading all this, I'm getting so heavy. I'm getting so heavy. I'm like, Lord, I, I'm feeling this shame and guilt. I know I'm repentant. I believe it. And he's like, Chase, just keep reading. I want to show you something. So then as I'm reading, the Lord says, Chase, just go a little further. Because the last thing I read is this, for no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law. That means your works do not justify you. You can't do it. You are not powerful enough to overcome strongholds and spiritual addictions and demonic holds and possession and influences and oppression in your life. You are not strong enough. You are subject to demons. You are born a slave not to fear like the song says. You are born a slave to sin. What does the word mean by we are all born into sin? You are born slave to it. You must obey it. That's why you don't teach kids to sin. You teach them not to. They already know how. So the Lord says, Chase, push on. I have something to share with you. I have something to tell you. And I'm like, Lord, I know what's coming up, and I don't want to read it. I've read it what feels like a thousand times, and I always miss it. I get a little more every time, and I'm grateful every time. But something's missing, and I don't want to miss it anymore. And I felt the Holy Spirit just kind of breathe on me. He's like, go on. And then I heard the Lord speak to me, and he let me hear Paul when he said this, because Paul is angry when he's writing this. I could almost just hear Paul through the Lord saying all this. And he, and he literally says, For no one will be justified in his sight by the works of the law, because the knowledge of sin comes through the law. So you only know what sin is by the law that condemns you. The law that, is, that you're supposed to uphold to be holy is what also shows you what sin is and condemns you, because you have no power over it. You don't. What power do you have? What power do you have? God doesn't live in you. What power do you have? Good luck upholding the law. Go up to the high priest for the holies of holies. Confess your sins so they can kill an innocent baby lamb for your sins. And then you have to do it again and again and again and again and hope you get to heaven and don't, and don't mess up the next day. Stub your toe and say something unedifying. Then you're really in trouble because now you got to wait. Hopefully you don't die before then. And then I felt this peace come over me as I was about to read. And the Lord said, Chase, now hear me when I say this. Hear my words, not Paul's, because that's what these are. But now, apart from the law, God's righteousness has been revealed, not in the law. Apart, attested by the law of the prophets. That is God's righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. To all who believe, since there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us have broken the law. We all have fallen out. We have all missed the glory of God because we are born into sin. Because the law exists, we were born into sin. Because the fall of Adam and Eve, we were born into sin. 
They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. God presented him as appropriation through faith in his blood to demonstrate his righteousness because in his restraint, God passed over the sins previously committed. God presented him to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so that he would be righteous and declare righteous the one who has faith in Jesus. I'm going to go back a second here. This verse 24 in chapter 3. They are justified freely by his grace. Freely means freely given. See, the issue that was with the law is it was holy. Just like when we ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, we didn't know of evil. How could you sin? But when they ate of it, it wasn't like, oh, it wasn't just because I told you not to. When God tells you something to obey, period, to do or not to do is for your good. But then when they ate of it, they understood that evil existed, that sin existed. It was the first glimpse of the law of Moses that this evil could happen. And not only could the evil happen, but we were capable of doing it. How? By even doing the one thing that makes you realize that evil and sin exists. It's a sin in and of itself, but it also revealed sin to man. And it also cursed our relationship with God. But God's design was to walk with us every day in the cool of the night. But it said they are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. I'm going to go back to where I was. Where then is boasting? See, before you could, this is why you even hear of terms like tribe of Benjamin, because it, it said something. It's like saying, yeah, I was born and raised in L.A. We grew up in a $21 million home. My last name's Rothschild, you know. It, it's like, that, that's what he's saying. Who can boast? Because this was freely given, not by anything you've earned. Not by anything you've done. There's only one thing you can do. By what kind of law? By one of works? No, on the contrary, by a law of faith. For we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the works of law. Or is God for Jews only? Is he not also for Gentiles? Yes, for Gentiles too. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then cancel the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold the law. How? We couldn't uphold the law. The word says that if you've done one, you've, you've, if you've failed one, if you've broken one law, you've broken them all. You've condemned yourself. How do we uphold the law? Well, he just answered it in three sentences. Do we then cancel the law through faith? Absolutely not. On the contrary, we uphold it through faith. Faith in what? The only thing. The only thing that calls this righteousness upon yourself is faith in Jesus Christ and what he did and what he is currently doing. What then can we say that Abraham, our physical ancestor, has found? If Abraham, he's talking about the promise of Isaac here, has found if Abraham was justified by his works, he has something to brag about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham 
believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Now to the one who works, the Holy Spirit burned this part onto me. Because there's some people here who need to hear this today, including myself. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you right now. Now to the one who works, pay is not considered a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited, credited for him righteousness. He's saying you do not earn your righteousness. You believe it and you receive it for what it is and you walk in it. And he continues. Likewise, David also speaks of the blessing of man God and God credits righteousness to apart from works. How joyful. How joyful. Who here has been asking God for joy lately? Are those whose lawless acts are forgiven and whose sins are covered. How joyful is the man the Lord will never charge with sin. Let that sink in. Will never charge with sin. So even if you get arrested for something, our court kind of mirrors God's a little bit by his design. You can go to jail for something, but you haven't gone to court yet. You haven't been charged officially with anything. You've been accused. That's why you have to go to court to be officially charged. Remember that as we move forward. Is this the blessing only for the circumcised then, or is it also for the uncircumcised? He's saying for the Jews and Gentiles when he's talking about the circumcision and uncircumcised, in case that was confusing anybody. For we say faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith. See, the Jews were going to say, are you circumcised? Are you? Are you not? Are you godly? Are you godly? Because are you circumcised? He said, it doesn't matter. He said, he said, God called Abraham righteous because of his faith and belief in God before he was even circumcised. He said, you're missing the point. You're looking for these little things. Thank you, Lord. There are people in the church today who are like, have you spoken in tongues yet? Huh? Have you preached this word yet? How many people you have in your seats every Sunday? You must not be holy. That is not what God calls righteousness because it just says right here, your works give you nothing. You do not earn anything from God. Don't believe me? Let's look at the disciples Jesus sent out. And they went out casting out demons and healing people and preaching the good news in the name of Jesus. And when they came back, they said, Jesus, Jesus, look what we've done in your name. We've cast out demons and healed the sick and preached your name to all these people. And what did Jesus say? Do not boast or rejoice in that you can cast out demons and heal in my name, but rejoice that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Because what he is saying is he's saying, do not think that these powers of the Holy Spirit, and these gifts of the Holy Spirit are what you rejoice in because you're rejoicing in what you can do, not realizing the healing is through the Holy Spirit. The preaching of the gospel in his word is through the Holy Spirit. You want to see the deliverance and the casting out of demons? That is through the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. All in him, not in you. He's saying, but if you remember me, if you remember why I am here, that is what you rejoice for because you will never miss me. But if you start to rejoice in all these things outside of me, you miss the point of why you're doing it. It is for me. It is about Jesus. It is for Jesus. It will always be for him. 
There is no gospel preached outside of him that will cast a demon out, make a demon angry, heal the sick, deliver people from oppression, depression, suicide, you name it. There is nothing outside of his name you can have in your works. Don't believe me? Lord, Lord, did we not cast out demons and heal the sick in your name? And he said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, for I never knew you. How did he not know him? So I've had so many people say, oh, I'm afraid God would ever say that to me. So let's ask the question. How do we know you know God? What did I just say? What does the word say over and over? Jesus Christ, for if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. For you, if you believe me, you believe the Father. There is no way but to the Father, but through me. If you know Jesus and you follow him daily, there will never be a day and not a single day that you go up to God. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Because it says right here, David said, how joyful is the man the Lord will never charge with sin. Never. Never charge. And here's the worst thing about the gospel. <laughs> yeah, I said worst thing. You do not want to believe it in your flesh. The spirit of religion, you know, oh. you know what the spirit of religion is now? It is the spirit that comes through to tarnish the blood of Jesus and the new covenant in him. And it puts you back into the cursed law to where you earn your salvation. You earn your freedom. You earn your joy. You earn your sleep. You earn the demons cast out of you. You earn your healing. You earn it all. What the spirit of religion does is it tells Jesus to get out of here. I don't want anybody to see you because all they have to do is believe with all our heart, mind, and soul. He is who he says he is, and they are set free, never charged with sin again. And as Paul says, does that mean we can continue sinning? Of course not. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you will follow my commandments. He's not challenging you. He's not saying, oh, well, if you've messed up, you haven't followed all my commandments, you don't love me. He's saying, if you want to learn to love me, learn to follow my commandments. But how? Because in the flesh, we can't even follow the law, for the law has cursed them. Has it not? If you've broken one, you've broken them all. That's like me, that's like me getting a parking ticket and getting arrested for murder. And getting charged as if I've murdered somebody because I was parked too, somewhere for too long. Does that make sense? Is that just? No. And God saw that. And what we have to understand is that God is the God of wrath and war and anger at times, but he never sinned. But it was by his choice and will that he gifted us grace. What is it? Unmerited, undeserved, love, favor, and affection. Unmerited and undeserved. You do not earn it. Who has children here? Raise your hands. What have they done to make them love you? What have they done? Nothing. And yet you would die for them. Because they're your children. You created them. Are you seeing the mirror? You created them. And if you saw that there was a curse upon them because of their sins, and you could fix it. If you saw that there was a curse upon your own children, and you're like, I can fix this. Your kids look like you and your spouse because they were made in your image. Who do we look like? And if you see a curse upon them, you're like, I can set them free. But I got to send my own son to do it. He's the only one righteous and just to do it. Revelation says, is there anyone worthy? And only one 
is. And his name is Jesus. So he sees this curse upon us and he's like, I love my children and I need to set them free. They didn't earn it. They didn't have to earn it because it's not about us. It's about the heart of the Father. It's about the heart of God and his decision to come down and say, your works are dead to me. Because your works are in the law to try to observe the law and uphold the law and you've already failed. They're dead. But let me show you my way. Let me show you something that gets you out scot-free. And all you have to do is say, I believe. Repent of your sins. Confess it to the Lord your God. And never do it anymore. And even if you fall, you repent. You say, Lord, I turn from this. And if I fall, I get up in your name. For Pro and it says in the word of God in uh, Proverbs, it says the righteous man falls seven times and gets up. God called you righteous knowing you would fall because you got up. How? In faith. You got up knowing, saying, I might have fallen, but that is not who I am. That's a dead man trying to come back to life. For you were crucified with him on the cross. Who are you to earn the favor of God? Who are you? You are no one to earn the favor of God. You're just his child. Accept it. And here's the crazy part. Your flesh and the spirit of religion wants to tell you this can't be true. There's got to be something I have to do every single day. I've got to pray the right way. I have to prophesy the right way. I have to think the right way. I have to do the right things. Say the right things. Then God will bless me. He said, no, believe in me. Believe this word. Believe my son whom I sent as appropriation. And I can prove it. So I'm actually having to use my notes for the first time. The redemption through Jesus Christ, and I've already read this, redemption. Redemption actually comes from another word. And it's a, it's a term used by slavers in a slave market. It means purchased freedom. For the word of God says you were born a slave to sin. And Jesus was sent as our redeemer to redeem us. And, by, and it says in this word, I just read it to you a chapter ago. It says, how was it paid? You have to pay for slaves to even set them free. It says, how was it paid? It said, by the blood of Jesus Christ. Your freedom was literally bought. You were born a slave to sin and you are no more slave. Sin to you is dead. How joyful is the man who God will never charge with sin. And it sounds, it's just like, Lord, this can't be true. This can't be true. What do I have to do better? What do I have to do better? He already answered, like the word says, what must I do to be saved? Confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord. He died for your sins and he was resurrected on the third day and is on the right hand of the Father interceding on your behalf and follow him daily. That's it. It's that simple. But when you truly understand, I'm not even 25% through, this will be half to broke up. No, when you start to understand what God showed me in just two hours last night, it is very hard to wake up every day and not say, I cannot wait to get a hold of Jesus today. I cannot wait to let the Holy Spirit talk to me and help me walk in Him and produce His fruit. I cannot wait to talk to my Abba Father. I cannot wait. And this is right here. What's funny is as I'm reading all of this, when we hear the, the first term, Abba, Father. Let 
I have it in my notes here too, somewhere. Right here. So then, brothers, we are not obligated to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. Why? What's the wages of sin? Death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. How do you let, let sin die, those in Christ? The Holy Spirit. Seek Him. He's the one promised to us. The Holy Spirit, help me kill my flesh. Help me crucify my flesh today because it's an everyday thing. You must crucify your flesh daily. How do you do it? Here's your answer. It's not a mystery anymore. It's not a question. It's literally right here. For if you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. All those led by God's Spirit are God's sons and daughters. For you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The spirit of adoption through Jesus Christ before he was Yahweh, the God of war, who destroyed his enemies and punished the adulterous Israelites. But then he's like, that's not enough. These are my kids. I need them to know me. So God the Father was revealed through Jesus. So we don't just know him as, oh, the God Almighty, because he is that. But he's Abba Father, who we go before his throne boldly as sons and daughters of the living God. For we have not received a spirit of fear or of slavery. It says in Christ we haven't received that. But part of what we have received when we received the Holy Spirit, it's right here in capital letters, the spirit of adoption. You are no longer orphans with no parent, no father, no God, no nothing. You are loved. You are taken care of. Your sins are forgiven daily. For the word says there are no condemnation. There's no condemnation. Thank you. For those in Christ. That doesn't mean you won't sin tomorrow. But God don't hold You're not condemned. He said there's no condemnation. None. And here's the worst part of it. Because it was a bit of religion. God beat out of me last night. And I cried like a baby. I had to call somebody. Mom was the only person I knew who would be up. She was. And I called her. I was like, i got to talk to somebody. I haven't even touched 25% of what everything he showed me in two hours. I even said last night, I said, I don't know if this is going to have to be broke up. It is. The last thing I'll say to end this, and I'm going to continue next time. It sounds too good to be true. It is. That's why it's called the gospel. Gospel means the good news. It is not anything you've earned. Otherwise, the word says when you've worked for it, it's something owed. It is not a gift. If I work for my father, if I work for a company, if I work for anybody and they give me a paycheck, I'm like, thank you so much for this gift. I'm like, about time. Payday. I've been working my butt off for two weeks. Got bills to pay. I worked. I earned it. I didn't. It wasn't given to me. It was an agreement. I do this for you. You pay me. Stop living like that before God. Stop. You don't earn it. You don't make strategies in your own life. You don't plan out every walk of your daily step. You don't do that. It's not yours. Jesus said, do not even worry about tomorrow for it has its own worries. But focus on the Lord today. You don't think about, well, tomorrow i got to find time to stop. Get in the presence of God now. Well, i got to wait till my kids go to say, bring them with you. Don't believe that you can do that. How do I preach with this many little kids in here? Y'all can only see the ones in front of you. I see them all. And I thank God for them. 
They're not a distraction. I have even prayed against it, Lord, said, Don't, do I not have them here? And I smiled. I was like, yeah, you do, Lord. Notice I'm never offended by any of them. Why? Neither is he. He's not offended that you bring your kids to get into his presence. He commands us to do it. Don't you wish that at their age you knew the things you know now that we only discovered as adults? How blessed are we? How blessed and greatly favored are we that we know the things we do now? We have kids so young that we can have little small children prophesying and hearing from God and not thinking, wait, I'm 25 years old. I can hear the voice of God? What? And then you're like, yeah, it's right here in the Bible. What? And then you start to hear it. And they start to walk in this. Our kids get to grow up knowing it's normal that our father, Abba Father means dad. There's jokes saying over people, oh, daddy God, daddy God. Hey, it can be cringy to people. I'm not going to lie. But it is actually something God wants us to call him. Abba Father means biological dad, like my father, who I love. I love being around him. He is my dad. I look up to him. He's my biological father and a spiritual father to me. But he's my, he is an Abba Father as far as the definition of Abba goes. He's someone I have, I have great love towards. That's what God wants from us. He said, I said, one of the, one of the, that's the mind-boggling thing. Jesus didn't just accomplish one thing on the cross. It was so many things that's mind-boggling. This is one of them. One of the things he accomplished was that we can know the Father. Jesus pointed to the Father. But the Father and the Holy Spirit point to who? Jesus. Why? Because who does Jesus point back to? The Father. You see how they all go one in one? They never contradict each other, and it all makes sense right here. All I've read to you is two and a half chapters, uh, two and a half chapters out of Romans today. And the Lord was pouring so much into me. He's like, you have to get this out. He said, because there's still spirit of religion that is tied to the law of curse that Jesus fulfilled. We're not under that covenant anymore. When Jesus said, you yeah, I break this bread. As my body is broken for you and this cup of wine is my blood. As a symbol of the new covenant. We are not under the law anymore and you don't hold yourself to it anymore because what you have done, this word says, is a warning. When you hold yourself accountable to the law, you have become cursed for you have broken them all. But if you have the faith in Jesus Christ and his blood and what he bought and redeemed you, bought you from as a slave of sin, he bought you and set you free. And it says this, how did he do it? By faith in his blood. The shedding of his blood bought your freedom. And the word says to, to get it and to cling to that. You wake up every day and you say, by the blood of Jesus and in the name of Jesus who died for me and is resurrected, I will walk this day out and follow him because that is how we're under this new covenant. For there is no condemnation to those in Christ. You're in Christ. There is no condemnation. Why? Because you don't follow sin anymore. See, that's one, that's one of the biggest things that people don't understand. They're like, well, oh, if Jesus did all this for me, I can continue to sin. No, you can't because you're supposed to be dead to sin. That's how you have faith. The word says literally you do not have faith in what Jesus did if you continue to sin. So these don't apply to you. These promises, this lack of condemnation. If you continue to, doesn't mean there's not sin in your life the Lord wants to work out and lead you through and teach you things. That's called sanctification. But willfully sinning, but saying, oh, I'm going to heaven because the grace of God and Jesus Christ, you've already missed the point. Jesus said, you want to know if you love me, follow my commandments. Those word of God, Jesus is the living word of God. He was the word made flesh, says a thousand times. Does that mean we can continue to sin? Of course not. Paul especially says it being smart out, being sarcastic. 
Simply stating, you don't have the faith that sets you free in Jesus Christ if you think you can keep sinning. The free grace, and it's the same thing about the spirit of religion. You, are you seeing it? The one saved, always saved. I can do whatever I want, live how I want, I'm going to heaven. Versus, oh, I've got to live by the law. They both send you to hell because they both missed Jesus and the purpose of him ever walking on this earth. And now, alive as the Son of Man and God on the right hand of the Father. You miss it. And I can promise you're missing it because you don't have him. How do I know that? Because the word of God says he's going to send the Holy Spirit. Jesus said this and in John. He said that the Holy Spirit will come through and convict the world of their sins. Why does he convict to lead men to repentance? What's God's grace to lead us to repentance? Jesus Christ, the conviction of the Holy Spirit and his kindness, mercy and long suffering. I've been, on the, I've been on the receiving end of this long suffering. I can't praise God enough for it. And when I repented, I repented for three hours. You know what God said to me? I thought he was so mad. I thought he was so mad. I had sinned for three straight years. And you know what God said to me? As I finally stopped and I listened to hear his voice, I heard it was my good will and pleasure to redeem you, my son. And then I just bawled like a baby. I expected him to say everything else in the world. Oh, I'm so disappointed in you. Try better next time. Don't ever do this again. Nope. That's the stuff we would say. These hypocrites Paul's talking to, these Jews, these hypocrites who want to preach, don't steal while stealing because they've broken all the law. Even if they've never stolen, it don't matter. In God's eyes, the law, they've broken it. Do you see that? He said, it was my good Will and pleasure. Why? Because God's will was accomplished when I repented and stopped sinning. Jesus didn't come and die. If Jesus had died for your sins in the way that some of the world teaches, I say the world because it is not the gospel, then how can you even continue to sin if those sins are dead? How? Because they're alive in you, as Paul says, and that's part of the next time I teach. It's going to be part of that. When Paul talks about why do I do the things that I do and don't do the things I want to do, I, don't, I, will, I do the things I don't want to do and I don't do the things I do want to do. He goes into explain how. And the simple answer is there's sin living in us. And that we'll get to our next time. I want to pray. Lord, we thank you today for your truth and for your revelation. We thank you for the blood of Jesus. We thank you that you have loved us so much that you decided by your will to overlook our sins until the time of Jesus came. Not that we could ever live in sin, but Lord, you, you, in your justified justness and in your justice, Lord, you held your wrath to give us time to repent. We thank you for your, love, your, your loving kindness your patience and mercy that are, that is meant to lead us to repentance. And Lord, we thank you for these revelations. Lord, we ask that you burn this into our heart and any part of the spirit of religion that wants to bind us to the old law meant as a punishment. We rebuke it now, Lord. We repent for even living in it and believing in it. For it does not agree with the blood of Jesus. It does not agree for what he did and why you sent him. Lord, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you send your Holy Spirit manifest right now to speak to us and show us anything in our hearts that's letting it live and that it may die in Jesus' name. And Lord, we thank you again for what you're going to be teaching us and for today. We thank you for the revelation you've given us, God, and we thank you from here on out when we start to continue to do the things and to think in the same ways that were leading us into curse 
and into his lawfulness. Which your word says leads to lawlessness. But you quickly remind us that we're not in that anymore. But we are in Jesus Christ bought and set free by the blood of Jesus from slavery of sin. We bless your holy name, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.